But uh, <clears throat> tell you, it, this morning, you know, I was under a little bit of a time crunch, so the folks could get up to first bat down to First Baptist. So tonight, there's no time crunch. <laughs> well, there he is, because there's a youth team meeting and another meeting, and you know, Truett's got to get to bed, and so there's a time crunch that somebody else sitting over here. My, I might get in trouble if I keep going with that line of thought. But anyway, this morning, we were looking at our duties as a church when it comes to uh, children, our children's ministries, and we specifically uh, looked at the fact that we're to love children the way Jesus loved children, and that by loving children the way Jesus loves children, what happens? Well, guess what? They, they come in when they feel loved, they come back and they tell others and, and they, it just multiplies and loving children is uh, indeed the key component of the children's ministry and it is a key component of the church as a whole, loving each other. In fact, that's really, I think, what draws most people to a church is feeling loved. And I mean, a lot of people, they may go to a church because uh, they know other people who are there. They feel loved by those people. Maybe they know the pastor, so they go there because they know the pastor. But overall, a feeling of being loved, I think, really holds people in a church. I heard so many people who have left one church and moved to another. And, of course, it might be, well, that had nothing for my kids. We talked about that this morning, came here because there's something for my kids. Some people leave churches because they just don't feel loved. They don't feel welcomed. One of the number one reasons that a first-time visitor does not return to a church is because they didn't feel loved. They didn't feel welcomed. And so I want to continue on that theme uh, tonight of love from an entire church uh, perspective. Uh, kind of, we might call it keeping with our back-to-school theme, we might call this tonight professional development. Because, you know, just like teachers have to do professional development every year of stuff they already know how to do, and they already know the ins and outs of doing whatever it is they do. Nurses have to do professional development. A lot of professions have to do professional development. I think the church needs to do professional development. Something we already know how to do, something we're already doing well, but look at a familiar topic and uh, just go back over the ins and outs of it just so we make sure we've got it down. But, you know, love is not an option for the child of God. We go back to the Old Testament, not an option. In Micah 6, 8, what does it say? It says, what does the Lord require of you, old man, but to what? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. What does God require? He requires you to love. We come into the New Testament, and Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says the second greatest commandment, commandment being something that's required, not optional, is to love each other. To love others. So seeing that we are, this is something we are absolutely required to do, let's look at this tonight and make sure that we have the basics at least of this down. And I know we do, and we'll continue to build on this. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, the most famous, maybe, of all love passages, and see if we can glean maybe some new insights was probably one of the most preached upon passages of Scripture. It is certainly a very frequently quoted passage of Scripture. One night I was using this in the youth uh, room, and I started reading the first part of it there, and somebody said, hey, that's a song on Caleb. I'm like, yeah, 
Paul was listening to Caleb one day and thought, I'm going to use that in my letter. You know, but anyway, so 1 Corinthians 13, let's read that beginning in verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to come back again tonight to study your word. I pray that you'd speak to us through this passage of scripture and help us to leave here tonight loving each other and loving others around us more than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. So we know this passage of scripture well if we've been in church long at all. We've heard this if you've attended a wedding. You've heard this. Taken out of its immediate context, this does make a beautiful hymn of love, as I heard it once called. And there's, of course, in its, con in its immediate context here in the scripture, of course, this is not a wedding passage of, scri of scripture, but it applies to a wedding. It works great for a wedding. These things absolutely should apply to your marriage. But Paul wasn't writing this to married people about their marriage. When we look at it in the context, we see that Paul is writing to a very much problem-filled Corinthian church. They've got problems, abusing spiritual gifts. There's division in the church. They're envious of each other. There's selfishness run, uh, running ragged, as, as we see. There's impatience in their public meetings. Boy, didn't we just have a nice meeting here just a minute ago. I've been in churches they did not have business meetings as smoothly as this. This is this. If you've never gone to church anywhere but Brister, you don't know what you're missing as far as business meetings are. No, really, really, you don't know what you've got if you've never been to church anywhere other than Brister, because most I say most churches, a lot of churches don't operate as smoothly as Brister operates, and it's the overarching theme of love that allows us to operate. And the way we do. 
But the behavior of the Corinthian church was completely disgraceful and completely disgracing God. So Paul here gives them a lot of characteristics of love. We're going to sum them up in three main points. This is going to be a good Baptist three-point sermon tonight. So three main points. We're going to summarize chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians as we look at this. The first thing that we see is that love is enriching. Love is enriching. Paul points out here as we, as we read through this uh, in chapter 13, verse 1, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, and have, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love is enriching because without love, the work that we do, the work, we'll put that in air quotes, the work that we do is pointless. It is useless when we attempt to employ our spiritual gifts without an attitude of love. It doesn't work. Now we'll get to the point that some of these spiritual gifts mentioned here are no longer in play today, but ministry without love cheapens both the minister and the recipient of the ministry. And so we take that and apply it to some of the things that we do here. Let's say you signed up to work Awana. We'll pick on Awana again because we're getting ready to start that and maybe you're going to work in Awana and I know because I used to work in Awana uh, at another church before I came here at First Baptist Magnolia and I and, you know, work with the teens still and that I'm just going to say I think I've got a little easier job than some of you working in Awana some nights I, I empathize with you because you've worked all day some of you and you come in here and some of these kids are hyperactive and that medicine they took at 6 o'clock that morning is not in effect anymore. And you just want to just wring their necks with love. <laughs> but no, the, maybe the love seems to wear off too because you're just at your wit's end with them. And then if you attempt to do your job without showing love, guess what? You're not going to be effective with that child that night. So... Ministry without love cheapens the minister and the one being touched by the ministry. But ministry with love enriches the entire church. As we, use, as we use our gifts that God has given us, and we know that if we're saved by the blood of Jesus, he's given each and every one of us a gift to use in the church. And when we do that with love, it enriches the entire church. You say, well, how do we know to love? Well, the Bible's clear that Christians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says Christians are taught by God to love one another. That we're taught by God to love one another. Well, how in the world did he teach us? Some of us have to learn when the teacher shows us an example, right? And God showed us an example. Because the Bible says, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love in that way. Of course, John 3.16, that gives us a great picture of God demonstrating his love, right? 
that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God demonstrating, God teaching us love in an ultimate way. Jesus taught us love by following the Father's will. You know, it, people say Jesus could have easily called a legion of angels to take him off the cross, but he didn't. Because he submitted to the Father's will. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. And he demonstrated that love like that. Jesus also taught us love through his commandment. Through saying the greatest commandment is to love God and the second greatest commandment is to love each other. You know, some of us, we don't learn well unless we're commanded. That's, you know, it's like, maybe I don't know if I should, should admit this or not, but um, in about the third grade, I guess, my mom goes to parent-teacher conference and the teacher says, I hadn't decided who the teacher is in this room, me or Jeremy. <laughs> apparently, I like to tell the teacher what to do. And apparently, it took her commandments to set me straight. Sometimes we have to be commanded in such a way that we learn. And in John chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So our love not only enriches the church, but it identifies us as followers of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit teaches us too. So we're taught by the entire trinity of God how to love. Romans 5.5 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us just pours it out. Kind of like sometimes the way I had to learn stuff when we had to memorize a bunch of stuff in school, I would, in uh, high school, we had this, a science teacher over at Louisville that believed you, you learned by memorization and thing is, I don't remember any of it now. But I would record it on a tape and I would play it while I slept in my room and it, it worked to pass the test poured that out into me. The Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts, thus teaching us to love. But the most important lesson that any believer can get is to love because love enriches everything it touches. So love enriches. That's the first thing we get out of 1 Corinthians 13. The next thing we find as we read verses 4 through 7 is that love is edifying. Love builds up. In 1 Corinthians, well, I'll get to that in a minute. The purpose of spiritual gifts, the gifts that God has given us, is to edify each other, to build each other up, to build the church up. God doesn't give us our spiritual gifts. To, he doesn't give me, Jeremy, spiritual gifts to make Jeremy feel better. He doesn't give Jeremy spiritual gifts so that Jeremy can build Jeremy up. No, he gives us spiritual gifts so we can build each other up, therefore building the church up. And we do that through love, and it builds up. In verse 4, he says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, does, is not provoked, thinks no evil, 
does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love builds up. You see what it says here? Love's not puffed up. Love's not prideful because love's not about me. Love's about you. It says love does not seek its own because love is not about me. Love is about you. Love allows us to build each other up. Here's how Paul meant for love to be used in this context as we love within the church. The Corinthians were impatient in their public meetings. We see that here. Their business meetings were things that uh, I used to cover some city council meetings when I worked in newspaper. I once ran the esteemed Lafayette County Democrat, which is no longer in publication. I didn't run it into the ground. It quit. It closed a few years after I left, okay? It was pretty close to the ground while I was there. But anyway, I used to uh, run that newspaper, and I covered one particular city council meeting in Lafayette County that, let me tell you, there was a deputy there for a reason. I foresee a deputy sitting at the Corinthian church business meeting. They were apparently, uh, they had some problems going on. But you know what? What happens when love rules in the meeting? Well, what you saw here just a minute ago. What we see here on a monthly basis. They envied each other's gifts. They were jealous of each other. Well, how does love fix that? Well, because love says, I'm not envious of your gifts. Matter of fact, I love you and I'm proud you've got that gift. I'm proud that you can serve in that way. They were puffed up with pride, but love removes that and replaces it with a desire to say, you know what? I'm not worried about promoting how good I am at this. I want to, I want you to, you're such a great, maybe I sing, but you're such a great singer. I want you to sing a special on Sunday. Whether I was planning to or not, I want you to do that. We promote each other. Paul commanded the Romans in chapter 12, he said, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. That's love when we prefer others over ourselves. The Corinthians were completely unloving. This is good. Keeps no record of wrongs. I heard a story one time about a man who kept a book. Every time somebody wronged him, he tallied it. He kept a record of wrongs. It said he was the most miserable person you could ever meet. You ever talk to somebody who just can't let it go? Yeah. You just want to sing Disney tunes to them, right? They just won't let it go. It's come on. Just, when we let it go, we feel better. When we hold a record of wrongs, we're not letting it go and we're not loving. A Christian who writes off another Christian because they just can't let it go is blatantly disobeying the word of God and is not showing love. We're supposed to love each other. Love is edifying. It builds each other up. One last thing. And we see this in verses uh, 8 through 13 is that love is enduring. Paul talks about, he says there in verse 8, it starts out, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Prophecy, knowledge, and tongues were not spiritual permanent spiritual gifts. They no longer exist today. None of them. Knowledge here doesn't mean education in that we sit down and we 
learn, we gain knowledge from teaching. The knowledge as it's mentioned here is the knowledge that they receive more directly imparting of spiritual knowledge because the entire canon of scripture was not available to them at the time. I mean, you think they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament? No, this is part of it, right? But I tell the teenagers, they didn't have the whole New Testament because this is part of it, and if Paul's just now writing it, they didn't have this. So that's what we're talking about where we talk about knowledge. But those gifts still did exist at the time of the Corinthian church. And Paul is saying, look, don't get so caught up in these gifts because they're going to go away. You know, they were all puffed up and prideful. I have the gift of tongues. Well, I have the gift of prophecy, and that trumps the gift of tongues. I don't know if this was, you know, rock, paper, scissors of spiritual gifts. I don't know. But they were puffed up and they were prideful about it. And Paul said, don't get caught up in all of that because none of that is going to stay. But you know what does stay? Love. Love never fails. Love never passes away. Why? One key verse of scripture that, of course, they didn't have, but that we have, that gives us absolute proof that love never fails. Love never goes away. And it's 1 John 4, 8. And that says God is love. And so if God is love, we can be absolutely certain that what Paul is saying is true, and that is that love never fails. The Corinthians, they were just acting like children, playing with toys that one day are going to vanish. And you expect a child to act like a child, right? Example. One day he's not going to appreciate this. But he can go listen to the sermons online then. And just yesterday, Truett had been eating some gummies. He was setting up, there he is, he wants some. <laughs> Mom is going to have to reach in the backpack and pull some out. He's sitting in my recliner, eating his pack of gummies. Yeah. And he knows I'm talking about him. This is easier on Sunday mornings. I walked through the living room a few minutes later. Well, there's the wrapper on the floor in front of my chair. And I said, go throw that in the trash. He looked at me and said, no, you throw it in the trash. I'm telling you, if he had been a teenager, he'd have been picking up the wrapper and his teeth, right? But you know what? I'd say, yeah, I'm not going to lose my cool with him. He's three years old. So I just pulled out the daddy voice. And I said, no, you throw it in the trash. And he got up. And he picked it up, and he went and threw it in the trash. I didn't lose my cool with him when he directly defied me and said, no, you throw it in the trash, because he's a child. And you expect children to act like children. To some extent, you expect baby Christians, new Christians, to act like baby Christians. But as we look around the church, we have so many people, especially your Sunday night crowd. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but on, even on Sunday mornings, we look around the church, and we have so many people who have been here for so long, and you expect them not to be baby Christians anymore, right? You expect them to have matured in their faith. And what Paul's telling the Corinthians here is, it's time to grow up. It's time to stop acting like a baby Christian. It's time to act like a grown-up Christian. 
There comes a time we have to put aside childish things, and when we do that, love shines through. When we do that, we can forgive and move on. When we do that, we can be patient with others. When we do that, we can promote others instead of ourselves. And when we do that, we stop celebrating sin when we grow up in our Christianity. And we start celebrating obedience to God at any cost. There's a maturity process that every Christian has to go through, and it won't be final until the day we see Jesus face to face. But in the meantime, we ought to be studying this book and growing in our faith and maturing in our faith. And as we do that, our ability to love grows even stronger because children live for the temporary. Just for the temporary. All he wants is something to get him by till his attention span changes again. But you know what? Adults live for the permanent. Adults live for what's long-term. Mature people do anyway. When I say adults, I'm not talking about an age. I'm talking about a level of maturity. Adults ought to live for what is permanent. And what is permanent is love. One last note. We see here in verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. All three of these endure. Faith becomes sight. Hope is fulfilled. Why is love the greatest? I believe love is the greatest for this reason. You don't have to wait for it. It happens right now. Love is in the present. Faith is in the future. Hope is in the future. Love is right now now. And so I hope that as we move into whatever the rest of the day holds for any of us, as we move into this week, as we move into the Awana year coming up, let me tell you, we've got great things going on here in this church with love. I've never felt more loved in a church than I do here. And I think most of us all feel that way. Well, you know what? This professional development saying keep up a good keep up the good work and let's don't forget that our number one job is to love love God first and then we're to love each other with everything